friends, there are many out there today that believe in what we would call an over-realized eschatology, a belief system that promises you more than Christ. And Paul says a different gospel. You're listening to A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky, Senior Pastor of Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. I'm your host, Brian Dolan. You might recognize us from our previous name, Opening the Bible. We recently changed our name as just a more clear identification of what we're about and what we're doing. Today, we move on in the book of 2 Corinthians in a series called Perfect Power in Our Weakness. Today, we're in chapter 11 with a message called Tempted by a Different Gospel. Now, as you start teaching today's message, Pastor, I venture to guess some folks will hear something familiar about the type of false gospel happening here. Yeah, we will, Brian. You know, there are reoccurring beliefs that happen throughout the centuries that lead people away from the center of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we address one of those because Paul's addressing one of those in 2 Corinthians today. We might categorize it more broadly as what we call over-realized eschatology. That just simply means it's a big theological word to mean that all of the power of God is ushered into his kingdom right now. And therefore you as a Christian, if you follow Christ, should never suffer in this life. You should have victory. You should have prosperity. You should have health. You should have power. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But that's a false gospel. And see, many might presume that a false gospel is rejecting Christ, but you're saying it's just a few degrees off of center, it sounds like. Yeah, there are a lot of false gospels that deviate from the center of the true gospel message as we see in the scriptures. And I want to be clear that there are plenty of people who believe these false gospels who are really well-meaning. They're not necessarily devious in their teaching or adoption of these false gospels, but the result is really, really dangerous and can lead people to a really scary place. And we're going to hear about that today in part one of a message from Dr. Nick Gatsky called Tempted by a Different Gospel. Here's Pastor Nick. I want to ask you to turn your attention with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and grab a Bible and open there with me. And as you turn, perhaps you know the story of the British ocean liner, the RMS Lusitania, which was struck by a torpedo from a German submarine on May 7th, 1915. And it appears that in an effort to minimize the panic, The captain of the vessel, William Thomas Turner, created a false sense of assurance for the people aboard. Shortly after the torpedo struck the liner, a fellow passenger, Charles Laureate, heard a female passenger call out, Captain, what do you wish us to do? And as one author remarks, the captain replied, Stay right where you are, madam. She's all right. Well, where do you get your information? The woman asked. From the engine room, madam, he said. But the engine room clearly had told him no such thing. Laureate and the woman now headed back toward the stern, and as they walked, they told other passengers what the captain had said. Second-class passenger Henry Needham may have encountered the pair, for he recalled that the passengers approaching him from a direction of the bridge had shouted, The captain says that the boat will not sink. The remark, Needham wrote, was greeted with cheers. And I noticed that many people who had been endeavoring to get a place in the boats turned away in apparent contentment. Turner's words merely confirmed what the passengers and the crew already believed or wanted to believe. 
that no torpedo could cause the ship mortal damage. Of the 1,959 passengers aboard the Lusitania, 1,198 perished. In some instances, the stakes are very high, life or death high, if you don't tell the truth. (laughs) That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in the church in Corinth. There are some among them who are distorting the truth and they are veering into the territory of preaching a different gospel. They are giving a false sense of assurance to many and the stakes are at the highest. The apostle has to address the issue and address those teachers directly. And it reminds us of similar occurrences in our day today. And so follow with me as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 to 15. This is what Paul writes to the church and to us. He says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And What I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim in their boasted mission that they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. There is a tone in this passage. It is the tone of resolve. It is the tone of warning. And at times it is the tone of sarcasm. And Paul identifies three dangers in this church and how his boasting in the cross addresses those dangers. And the first one that we see in verses one to six is that Paul is boasting against the danger of false belief. 
Verse two, he says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. This idea of being betrothed to God is woven throughout the Old Testament and all the way into the New. In the Old Testament, God refers to his people, Israel, in such a fashion that they are betrothed to him to be married. God is the groom and Israel is the bride. Hosea chapter two, verses 19 and 20 says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Similarly, in Isaiah chapter 62, verse five, the prophet writes, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And so the picture is an incredible one of God's love and care and commitment to his people. He is the groom, his people are the bride, and they will be together forever. And in the times of the New Testament, this extends to the common practice of fathers and daughters and grooms and brides. Because in the New Testament times, fathers betrothed or promised their daughter to a future husband to be married. And then it was the father's responsibility to ensure the purity of his daughter until that wedding day. And so Paul carries the imagery of the New Testament and into this church that he's now living with. The church is now living in an engagement to the Lord Jesus. Paul, as their spiritual father, has betrothed them to the Lord. And until the wedding day of his return and the marriage supper of the Lamb, the church is to remain pure. And as a result, Paul has jealousy for this purity because the Lord Jesus has jealousy for the purity of his bride. But there's another man in the house, a man who is trying to steal the affections of the betrothed, a man who is making a play and trying to wreck the engagement and to claim her as his own. A man who in some ways claims that he is already married to this bride. And the false teachers are the messengers of this man. And so verse three references the fall of Adam and Eve and points to just how serious the deception is in the church. Because if Satan is the one who tempted Eve and the Corinthians are found to be in the same place, then they are being tempted toward their demise. They're being led astray. And verse five says, it doesn't seem to bother them that this false teaching was among them. They didn't do anything about it. And so just like Eve, they are now in great, great peril because there is another man in the house. And he was there intentionally because after all, nobody steals another man's fiance accidentally. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 16, 
to identify such things. In verse 17 and on, he says this, he says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Now, just let me pause and make an observation. He's not just simply talking about people you don't get along with. (laughs) He's not talking about people who rub you the wrong way. He's saying Christians and church specifically, watch out for those who create obstacles contrary to doctrine, to what you believe, to the specifics of what you believe, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so... There are teachers among the church and they are delivering a false message. What is the content of that false message? Well, for Paul, the cross of Christ was the central act of human history. The fact that Jesus suffered and died to forgive sins restores those to new life in him who put their faith in him also enables and empowers them to suffer in this life temporarily. But they too will receive glory eternally, just as the Lord himself did. However, this is not what these teachers promoted. They promoted a different Christ, Paul says, and as a result, a different gospel. For them, the cross wasn't the center. It was the afterthought. For them, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the teaching that if you had the Spirit, then you were delivered from all suffering, even all suffering in this life right now, that was the ministry or the focal point of their teaching. Now, there's a theological word for this. It's called overrealized eschatology. Now, before you zone out, Parse it out with me for a minute. Eschatology is just very simply the study of the end times, the study of God's promises and God's actions toward the end. And it is the dynamic that communicates that when Jesus came, he ushers in the kingdom of God, but this kingdom will not be fully consummated or fully realized until he returns again. And so that's why Paul uses the picture of the church as a woman to be betrothed. The wedding hasn't happened yet. There's an already not yet dynamic. The kingdom is already here, but it is not yet here in its fullness. And so growth in faithfulness through suffering results in a glorious wedding day for God's people to their savior upon his return. But the false teachers believed that the wedding had already happened. And that if you are indeed belonging to Christ, then you would not suffer difficulty at all in this life. And therefore it's overrealized in its scope. It takes promises that God makes to you for eternity and it takes those promises and applies them to you right now in this life. This is not just a minor theological nuance. 
Paul actually says that this is preaching a different Christ and a different gospel. And so verse four, if you look at it with me, he says, someone comes to you and proclaims another Jesus, or you receive a different spirit, or you accept a different gospel. That's what the peddlers were pushing. And if the focus on Jesus isn't his work on the cross, and if the focus on the spirit isn't the empowerment of faith and faithfulness to Jesus, then you are receiving a different gospel. And so Paul calls these teachers super apostles. Allegedly, nothing ever goes wrong for them. They have strength and health and wealth because they have the spirit, at least they claim. And anyone who doesn't have those things must not have the spirit, so they claim. And of course, the title, super apostle, is dripping with sarcasm. As a person who greatly appreciates sarcasm, I love it when Paul engages in that type of rhetoric. It's oozing with mockery. There's nothing super about these imposters. They are promising something more than Christ. And Christ is enough. So what? <laughs> Some of you at this point might be thinking to yourself, pastor, that's, that's like moderately interesting. Why does this matter for us right now? Why does the theological argument with a church 2000 years ago, how does it bear implication onto my life? Well, there are a number of different implications. Let me offer just three very quickly. Paul says in verse one, he asks them to bear with him to engage in a little foolishness. And he's referring not only to the fact that he's boasting in the gospel and in that, that he is meeting these peddlers on the field of boasting, which seems foolish, but also the content of the gospel itself. We know Paul is referred to as foolishness. Here's the implication. You need to know this, that it will look like foolishness to the world. It will look like foolishness to the people around you who don't know God. If you continue to boast in confidence in Christ while you are undergoing great difficulty in life, because for thousands of years, the world has believed that the good life is a life that is free from pain and turmoil. How could you possibly be a child of God if your life is hard? They ask. Must be foolishness, they say. But friends, that's the boast that we make. <laughs> Not that glory is for us right now, but that through Jesus, glory is coming and we will enjoy it soon enough. And so we are faithful to him until the very end of our days. That's implication number one. Implication number two is that, friends, there are many out there today that believe in what we would call an over-realized eschatology, a belief system that promises you more than Christ. It points to a false hope and an expectations for the things in this life that God has promised for eternity, and he may or may not give to us in some measure right now. It gives people a false assurance of supernatural healing. It gives people false promises of unique spiritual visions. It lauds the voices of those who claim to see angels. 
Now, God may grant some of those things in some instances, but this is not the promise that he gives by his spirit to every Christian for all time. And the result is that this type of teaching leaves millions upon millions of people with a different Christ, a different spirit, and Paul says a different gospel. And when those promises aren't delivered upon, people become despondent. They're often riddled with guilt because they think that they are the reason why God isn't acting in the way that he's promised. They are the reason. Their guilt, their sin, their difficulty is the reason why God wouldn't bless them or heal them. But friend, in the gospel of Christ, God gives hope to you. God blesses you, not based on you being good enough, not based on you finding your own favor with him. He gives you hope and blessing based on what Jesus has done for you and for all of those who have put their faith in him. You can live in joy and in confidence when you believe in a true Jesus, a true spirit that results in a true gospel. And so implication number three is just simply this. It means that our natural desire for immediate gratification and personal autonomy can be suspended and it can be replaced by a reliance on God through the joys and the pains of life. Paul seems to be indicating that standing in Christ means standing against those who intentionally distort Christ. Standing in Christ means standing against something. <laughs> and sometimes it means standing against someone. It means standing against those who distort Christ. And so Paul gives his second reason for boasting. In verses 7 through 12, he is boasting because of a no-charge ministry. He's not charged them for speaking the gospel to them, as he indicates in verse seven and on. He speaks it free of charge. He's taken support from other churches to do so, he says. You might be surprised to know of some of the incredible speaking fees that public speakers can get these days. Just a little bit of research will let you know that author Malcolm Gladwell, who's one of the better storytellers of our time, commands $80,000 for an hour of speaking. Former President Bill Clinton gets about $200,000 per speaking engagement. And the former chairman of the Federal Reserve, Ben Bernanke, has received up to $400,000 for an hour of speaking on monetary policy. Former President Donald Trump, over a million dollars per engagement. Why? Well, celebrity, notoriety, the importance of the message, they all point to the value the monetary value that people will place on the message and thus there's high speaking fees for the speaker. In the first century, people who had celebrity and notoriety and something important to say charged high speaking fees as well. And in fact, it was common knowledge that the greater the importance of the message, the higher the fee would be. But Paul comes to them with the message of the gospel and his opponents mock him because he charged them nothing, nothing at all. And thus they claim that his message must be worth 
nothing at all. And so he makes two oaths to them in this boast. He says, verse 10, the boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia, which means in the surrounding verses, he's not going to start taking money from them despite the fact that they're mocking him for it because it actually points to the motives of his counterparts. He doesn't want to be confused with them or their message because this gospel of the Lord Jesus is distinct. And secondly, he gives them an oath with regard to his continued love for them. Why? Because I do not love you, he says in verse 11. God knows I do. Thanks, Pastor. That's part one of a message called Tempted by a Different Gospel. Don't miss next time as we move on to part two in this really essential passage in the book of 2 Corinthians. The idea of what the gospel is and that following Christ is clear in Scripture. Christ risen, Christ is the Lord, and we must submit our lives to Him. This is A Better Word. I'd encourage you to head over to our website, which is abetterword.com. You can hear our program archives, learn more about the ministry, but also see an opportunity to give. And you want to give this month because with your gift this month to A Better Word, we'll send you a book called The Unquenchable Flame by Michael Reeves. And I think it would really connect to the soul of those who love to hear about personal transformation. How somebody went from the way they were before Christ to seeing the power of Jesus transform them forever. Well, this book looks at the Reformation and some of those familiar names you know from church history. But not just the dates and the names and the places, but how their heart changed. Does that resonate with you? Go today and give now to abetterword.com. Again, abetterword.com. Your donation to this ministry will get you a copy of The Unquenchable Flame by Michael Reeves. A Better Word is a teaching ministry of and is sponsored by Old North Church of Canfield, Ohio.